to Black Light Mass Incarceration Show. I am your host, Sierra Cobb. Black Light Mass Incarceration Show is a space that is used to uplift the unheard voices of the criminal and social justice issues that many face today. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you enjoy. Hey, Black Light family. It's been a while since you have seen my face. Things have been a little rough lately. I've kind of had to rebrand the Black Light Mass Incarceration Show. As you see, there's um, no longer a sponsor for us. We're doing everything on our own and just trying to get get through the first of the year. Things have been a little crazy. Life has been lifing, but I'm back. I do want to warn you that we might cut down the amount of time or the number of episodes we release. We were releasing episodes every Thursday, and so it might be every other Thursday release an episode but hang in there with us we will get back to releasing episodes every week but i wanted to jump on so y'all could see my face and i wanted to talk about kind of do a follow-up episode on the two episodes i released uh week before last and i think a couple of weeks before that uh we had talked to two individuals who were currently incarcerated for spousal abuse and so i wanted to kind of do a follow-up on what it is what dv is and how we can serve dv Uh, because every day i turn on the news i'm constantly seeing that the dv rate is going sky high and too many people are starting to lose their lives over dv and so i am if you don't know i am a dv survivor have been experiencing dv since I was a child, uh, on up until my early thirties and finally have broke free from that and healing the wounds that I had occurred during those years of DB, which had caused me to have complex PTSD as well as it manifested seizures just from the built up trauma because I wasn't able to confront that trauma. I wasn't able to heal that trauma due to me being a single mom at a very young age, I had to provide for my children. I had to work. I had to be there for them. And so I just buried everything that I went through year after year after year. And so it finally built up to the point where I could, it's, you know how you put so many things in the closet and you just keep putting it in there and you close the door and then eventually you try to put one more thing in there and you try to close the door and it don't close and everything just comes falling out. Well, yeah, that is what happened to me. And I, I'm, I'm thankful for that because your body can only take so much. Your body can only cover up things for so long. And so I am every day working through that trauma. I'm using yoga, meditation, trying to eat right, exercise. And so I want to be able to help other people do the same. I want to get down to the root cause of what's what's causing DV. I know it's many factors, multiple factors as to why DV is committed against spouse, family members, children. And so today I really wanted to just talk about ways that we could DV, that understanding what DV is. DV is a violence towards a loved one, an intimate partner, 
a family member, a child. It includes physical, emotional, financial, psychological, sometimes sexual. DV can occur in various settings, including homes, relationships, and communities. And the effects of DV is is paralyzing. It's paralyzing terror. It's stress. It's It could be physical, emotional. A lot of people deal with suicidal thoughts, suicidal uh, depression, PTSD, or a lot of times what they have experienced, they do it to somebody else. So it's just like an ongoing cycle. And so we have to break that cycle. We have to get down to the root cause of the problem. And a lot of that root cause is trauma, is social and economical status. Um, You have Believe certain beliefs, certain cultures believe that a man is over a woman and a man is to control a woman or vice versa. We have to get away from that because as I told one of the guys that I did the interview with, when you love somebody, you don't ever want to harm them. Love doesn't come with harm. Love doesn't come with psychological abuse. Love is something that makes you feel whole. Love is something that makes you feel healthy. Love is something that you don't ever want to see the person you love hurt in either way, physical, mentally, emotionally, you never want to see them hurt. And so I think a lot of people put love and control together like that. Go That doesn't go together. You can't love somebody and control them. You want them to be free. You want them to be them. You don't want to control them. That's what one of the guys said on the last interview is that He loved her so much he was obsessed. And I think people take obsession the wrong way. Like you can be obsessed with somebody. Like I'm obsessed with my husband. I love my husband to death, but I would never in my life want to cause harm to my husband, period. Because I love him that much. And I know that if I cause harm to him, even, you know, if he's unalive, then I wouldn't, he wouldn't be here with me. I wouldn't be able to love him. So you can obsess over somebody and some people may or may not agree with me. You can have an obsession with somebody, but not to the point where it's, if I can't have you, nobody else can have you. That's not love because you have to, that means you're saying, well, my children can't have my mom can't have my dad can't have my sisters and brothers can't have me. And that, that didn't even make sense to say, if I can't have you, nobody else can. And I've had people, I've had men tell me that. And I've had men almost trying to unalive me. So I, I know, I get it. I've had men been obsessed with me. But that is not the right kind of obsession. It is okay to be obsessed with your loved one, but not to the point where you feel like you want to end their life because they're not under your control because that's what it is. If you look deep down into in what it is, it's control. You want to be able to control somebody. And then, like I said, if you love somebody, you shouldn't want to control them. You should want them to be happy, healthy, and wholesome, not controlling them. So what are you teaching your children? Because that tends to rub off on them. They see mom and dad doing it. Then they think that when they grow up, that they can go do it to somebody, that they control somebody, and that control is the way to go when it's not. And so that's what I try to instill in my boys. I have three boys. And I instill in them every day that I don't care how angry you get. Go outside, breathe, process your thoughts, 
and then come talk about it. You've never put your hands on somebody unless they put their hands on you because you have the right to defend yourself. But to outright put your hands on somebody because they, they don't do what you say, because they are not agreeing with what you're telling them, or even because they're cheating. If you love somebody, let them go. And if they come back to you, then it's yours. It's meant for you. But not take their life because you can't stand the fact that they might be with somebody else, or you can't stand the fact that they're not listening to what you're, what, what you're telling them to do. To me, it's just bananas. I, I can't wrap my head around that kind of behavior. And I've been through it. And I refuse to be an abuser because I don't, I don't understand the point of that. To me, that's just pointless. So I want to have control over somebody. So in addition to abuse victims, the abuser may suffer adverse consequences. It has been found that when spouses try to unallow one another, they do so in response or immediate, immediate threatening attacks. They also do it to feel like they're in control. Some people get off on controlling people. And to me, that's a behavior that needs to be explored as well. I can't wrap my head around anybody wanting to control somebody to that, to that extent. I can't. And it's also dangerous for family members, others who try to intervene. I, and I, I don't know if you heard that in the uh, interview a few weeks ago. The guy said that when him and his girl would argue, his family would try to intervene when he would get physical with her and that he would jump on them. And so a lot of times that leads for them not to intervene. And when they don't intervene and you are abused, you don't, you feel like you're helpless. But then you also have that side of your heart to be like, oh, well, I love him and they can change. And I love the way they are when they're not upset with me. And so they don't leave. And then they also feel like they don't have support because when that person who is causing harm and they're causing harm not only to their spouse, they're also causing harm to the family member who is trying to intervene and protect the person that they are trying to cause harm to. It just makes you feel like I'm not going to get in that situation. And the person that is being harmed feels like I don't have any support. So they continue to stay and then it continues that ongoing cycle. And that's something that we have to break because if somebody's intervening, you should let them intervene. You shouldn't jump on them because they're intervening in a situation that you definitely should not be doing. You definitely should never be putting your hands on somebody unless you are self-defending yourself. Not just to be putting hands on somebody because you want to control them. And so when that person intervenes, that is the time for you to calm down, go outside, remove yourself away from the situation and let your brain begin to process what you're really doing. Because once you process what is going on, then you're able to assess things better in a, in a different light. You're not in that angry type of mood. You are in a, my brain is processing this, then you're able to understand what you're doing is not right. And then you're able to make different decisions instead of making decisions in an angry, closed-minded type of fashion. As the abusive may hurt or unalive them, when children of families or wife has been abused become involved in violence. And 
Each chance may result in protecting their mother and they run the risk of being injured and unalived by the abuser. And I've seen stories like that too, where children have intervened and the abuser has unalived them because they were trying to save their mom, dad. Um, and so it, you're not only taking the person that you abuse life, but you're also taking a child's life because they are protecting their loved one. Thank the Lord, I've never been in a situation like that. My kids did try to intervene, but it didn't go to that extent to where they were trying to take their lives for intervening and trying to help me. But we've seen that in many cases. We've seen that all over the world. We've also seen where in different cultures where the men, they pick and choose who their daughter or son marries. And especially in some of the other cultures, if the daughter doesn't marry who the dad chooses, then they tend to feel like, or their belief is they can unalive them because they should be able, the parents should be able to pick who their child is with. And so that's where you get into your social and economical beliefs, which can cause great harm and havoc on the person that's being abused. And so we really have to just figure things out because this is getting out of hate. Like I said, I am a survivor of over 20 something years and I'm thankful to be here to this day, but this has to stop. Harming and abusing your loved one is just, I can't wrap my head around it. <laughs> like I have no words for it at all because I just don't understand it. I don't, I don't, I don't. I don't understand it. And I've never been, even though I was harmed, I never wanted to harm somebody else. That never made me want to harm them back. It made me want to get to safety, but it never made me want to harm them back. So I just, I can't, I can't wrap my head around it. So the effects are very devastating. It, it tears you down psychologically, physically, mentally, emotionally. It tears your family structure down. It could tear your community down because they're losing a loved one to abuse where sometimes, a lot of times you feel like you could have just talked it out. You could have just separated and went your way, she went her way or vice versa and let you calm down and then come back together and talk about what's bothering you. Talk about why this person did A, B, and C that made you feel like D, E, E, F. So yeah, I just... I just, I can't, I don't understand, <laughs> but I want to be a person that tries to help resolve this because I'm tired of seeing it every day I turn on the TV or look in the news. I'm seeing so many people who are losing their lives at the hand of their abuser. And that's just not fair. It's not right. Um, we all have to come to together as a community, just like we do when it comes to advocating for prisons and prison rights. We have to stop taking one another out over silly things, over emotions, because that's really what it is. It's emotions running high. It's you feeling like you are above your spouse or your child or whoever you are causing harm to. Nobody's above anybody. We are all equal. We all bleed the same blood. And so I just want to see more unification in every aspect of life. And more forgiveness. 
we've kind of talked about the causes of domestic violence, childhood trauma for for the abuser, parental trauma. I know a lot of people have uh, parent issues, whether it's mom issues or dad issues that cause them to lash out to their intimate partner or their child, witnessing other people abuse their loved ones, sexual and economic inequality. All these factors can contribute to a person's propensity to commit DV. Additional drugs, alcohol, mental health issues, history of harm and abuse can also be contributing factors. Uh, the cause of DV are multi-passionate and stem from a combination of factors such as learned behavior, power imbalances, social norms, and unresolved trauma. So let's talk about taking responsibility because that is the very important part is you have to take responsibilities for any of your actions that you commit, any of your actions. And the first step to addressing DV and taking responsibility for your own behavior, it's essential to recognize your own potential triggers. As I said earlier, that's what it's about. Recognizing your triggers and renewing your reactions. So changing the way that you react to that trigger. And that could go for anything in your life. It's not just DV. It could go for anything in your life. And that is something that I have been working on is changing my reaction to my triggers because I can get triggered easily. Like, I mean, the minimal thing can trigger me not to where I'm harming somebody else, but to where, you know, I have all these physical issues and I get depressed and anxiety long 10,000 sometimes and I just can't function. That's what it does to me. And so if I change my reaction and think more positive thoughts, slow down, breathe, go for a walk, meditate on something that's beautiful that can take my mind and attention away from the negativity that my, my brain is trying to process. Processing more positive thoughts lead to more positive actions. And that is what we must work on. That is step number one. Restorative justice works in all areas of life. It's not just in the prison system. Restorative justice works in all areas of life. And that should be definitely something that should be done before it gets to the point where the person is not here. Practice restoring your health, restoring your mental well-being, restoring your emotions to where you have not bad emotions, but where you're able to control those emotions where it could, it could lead to something horrible. That's just a few things that I could think of. Taking steps to prevent potential instances of DV, which includes setting healthy boundaries. You have to set boundaries. You have to seek help. You have to have that support system and you have to support them as well. Or not just say, oh, well, you need to leave them. And because that's more easier said than done. A lot of people, it's not easy for them to leave their abusers because of their mindset and the mindset that the person who has caused harm to them has put them in. You have to help them reprocess that in a way to where they understand that this is not healthy. And even if you have to set in action plans, I think there needs to be more, more places where couples who are already experiencing issues are able to go to work on their issues. 
And I think that it should be free and readily available to anybody because that's what's important is fixing and healing those, those triggers and understanding how to react to those triggers in a nonviolent manner. And I think that that should be everywhere. I think that is a, a huge way to curb, to curb DV in a major way. Education and awareness. Education is critical to discouraging DV. Promoting awareness can challenge the attitudes and beliefs that contribute to the abuser's behavior, them understanding their behavior. So if we educate them how to understand their abusive behavior, then they're able to see that the way that they are reacting and acting is not how they should be if they truly love someone. And this can be achieved with educational programs in school, which I think it needs to be taught in school, workplaces, communities, as I said before. These programs can cover topics such as healthy relationships, consent, and nonviolent conflict resolution, which is extremely important. Encouraging, we have to encourage one another. We have to be there for one another. We have to call people out on their wrongs. We have to help people heal their traumas and their triggers. And we have to kind of help people understand that your social and economical beliefs really aren't that serious. It's not. I've heard for years back when my grandma was older that the man is the head of household and the woman takes care of the household. And so a lot of that, that mind frame and thought trickled over to the man feeling like they could harm their spouse because they're in control. When you're in a relationship, nobody's in control, especially if you're married. You're not over your spouse and your spouse is not over you. You're equal. And I think that's the thing that we don't understand, that we are equal to one another. No one is better than the other. It's important that we really understand that because if we understand that, then we're able to see our partner just as equal as I am. You're not going to hurt yourself. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so if you can understand that your partner is just as equal as you, that kind of, that curbs that reaction to feel like you're in control or exert control over somebody. And that even comes with your children. I'm also uh, a survivor of childhood trauma, childhood abuse. And that resulted in the person that was doing it to me. They had issues. They experienced the same kind of trauma. And so it was just a cycle that went on and on and on. And I forgave the person that caused that childhood trauma. I forgave the person, the people that caused the adult trauma that I experienced through DB and that is what has helped me heal. It has helped me move forward. It has helped me see things in a, in a totally different perspective. And the only thing I'm doing now is healing those scars that I have, uh, that have occurred over the 30 some years of my life. And I encourage everybody to do the same. You know, I work for Care Bearers. That is my nonprofit. My husband did a wonderful job with Step Up by Forest Health Program that is going to help you be able to navigate through those those triggers and to help you connect your mind with your body because I don't think a lot of people understand when you go through trauma, your mind disconnects from your body. Your mind controls your body. And if that disconnects, then you're not able to process anything. And so his program is dedicated to connecting the mind with the body, to understand how the mind works with the body, to help you 
you know, understand your triggers. So when they're coming, you, it's giving you ways to respond to those triggers in a healthy way and not a negative way with art, yoga, meditation. And this is not an overnight fixer. This is something that you have to work on every day of your life, nonstop. Especially if you have years and years of trauma. My husband has trauma um, he experienced in his lifetime. And these are the things that we have used to begin to heal our minds, our bodies, our spirits, our souls. And we want to help other people do the same. Um, and so please support Care Bear Foundation. We have a website. It's uh, www.carebearfoundation.org. You can Google us. It comes up. Um, or .com, I'm sorry. You can do it under .org or .com. Either way, it comes up. Just Google Care Bears and you'll see it. Um, we're just we're looking for volunteers to help us run this program um, so that we can start being an as- asset to the community, helping them heal their selves, their families, their friends, so that we can be a whole community, so we can be a healthy community. So please check that out. We need all the support we can get with you volunteers. If somebody that wants to donate so that we can be able to do these programs and compensate the people that's helping us do these programs, we want to put them in the communities, most definitely. Um, we want to put them in DV shelters, um, DV communities, prisons, jails, because that's the only way to heal. We have to get away from the norms that we know and start a new norm. And that is what Care Bears is here to do. So please check out our website. Um, you can always find me on any social media streaming platform. You can, if you need me, you can email me at ccobb at carebearfoundation.org. If you need to send a message, you can send a message through the website. You can message me on X or Instagram. I'm everywhere. If you need to talk to somebody or you need just information on how to navigate your triggers, you want to sign up for the program, you want to know more about the program, we also offer legal support as well. But all this is is new. We are new in this nonprofit field and we're trying to get ourselves going Um, and we need donations. We need people to donate so that we can make this possible because we can't make it possible without donations. But we really want to get in the community and and be a productive citizen and a part of changing our community to make sure that it is whole and happy and healthy. But yeah, y'all, it's not really a long episode. I just wanted to do a follow up for those two episodes because that is near and dear to my heart. If you haven't heard them, please go check them out. Um, I think the last one is Danny and... um, um, I did put trigger warnings on it because I know that this can trigger a lot of people and I want people to be mindful and understand that before you listen to it, that it can trigger you if you, especially if you've experienced any of any of that, like I have. But I did want to follow up with you guys on ways that we all can help change the DV community where we don't have DV because it's all about healing that trauma. <laughs> Just like prison, it's all about healing that trauma that keeps us away from prison, that keeps us away from addiction. I just want to finally see my community happy, healthy, and whole. And you're going to always hear me say those things because that is so important to me to see my community thriving and not taking one another out. 
So until then, until next time, I hope y'all have a good, good day. Love y'all, Black White family. So thank you again for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed today's show. Your host, Sierra Cobb. Take care.